Well, praise God. Praise God. I have spent a lot of time in the last uh, nine months praying about how we got where we're at. And God keeps showing me little bits and little pieces along and along. And this last week, he took me back to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. I want you to go there. I also want you to know uh, this one little truth here. Um, I got sick and tired of not being able to read my Bible from the pulpit. I mean, I don't wear hearing aids because if I remove my mask, I yank them out. <laughs> um, I didn't read from my Bible because I couldn't see the words. So I'm, I'm going to amaze you now. I hold this up and, and Roger on the back row could read this, right? I think. Thing weighs 15 pounds. 15 pounds. That, that's quite the Bible. I don't know if the stand's going to hold up or not, but we're going to. We're going to find out. Amen? Uh, but I real, I, I'm really happy. I'm real excited about being able to read the Bible again from the pulpit. And I, I know it may sound simple to you, but it means something to me. Praise God. Someone said, well, you need to get, if I get thicker glasses, I mean, I, I don't want bottle cap glasses, you know. All right, in Daniel chapter 1, we titled this message Purpose. Listen very carefully when I read uh, from Daniel chapter 1, uh, matter of fact, let's, let's jump ahead a little bit. I want to I give you a cliffhanger here a little bit. Go to Daniel chapter 1, verse 18. Daniel chapter 1, verse 18. At the end of the time, we're going to learn what the time is. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Stop right then, right there. Um, I want to share with you some background information about what led up to this passage of Scripture. And we're going to uh, come back to an earlier part of chapter 1 in a little bit. But I'm going to lay some groundwork for this message. Once again, I repeat, I've been asking God, how did we get where we're at as a country? Uh, how many of you believe there's been a little chaos this year in, in, in the world? There's been the pandemic. There's beginning all kinds of political issues. There's been all kinds of things going on. But I've known all along from the beginning, God is still on his throne. Amen. God is still in control. Nothing, nothing out there is out of control. Nothing out there is out of the scope of God's uh, power. Amen. He is the God of the impossible. He can do anything, right? So what we determined in prayer was that God was calling his children, first of all, to turn their eyes towards him and to repent. Amen. And then prayer started going up. More prayer than, and maybe than in the history of the world for this country or the history of this country. Not more people were praying. More people turning their eyes towards the Lord. And I'm telling you, all is not lost. If, if Abraham could intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah and convince the messengers that if there be just five righteous, will you spare them? If there are just five righteous, look around you. There's three times as many or four times as many of that in this room right now. Amen. God would save this nation. For the people that are in this room today, think about that. Just do the math. It's not that hard to do. Amen? So, one of the things that God showed me was that the church wasn't ready for change like this. We weren't ready. And maybe because we weren't ready, God let us face it. And I'm going to show you why in the Word that He would do a thing like that. Watch with me here. Uh, in the way of an introduction, I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. Think about this for 
Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Those were the most prominent people that this conquering nation brought out of Jerusalem and took back to Babylon with them. It's 605 years before Christ. 605 BC, Babylon is the new world superpower. King Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and defeats it. But he lets it alone. After he destroys the walls and destroys the city, after that he just leaves, but he takes with him some of the royal uh, lineage of, of Israel with him back to Babylon. And all he does back in Israel, he has defeated them so utterly, it really doesn't even take much of an occupying force to keep it within the control of his empire. But he taxes them. He taxes them heavily. He put them through, uh, the ones that he took out with him, he put them through intense deprogramming. He designed, it was designed to wipe out any trace of the past, any Judaism, any nationalistic fervor, new education, new philosophies, Babylonian dress, Babylonian language, Babylonian everything, even new names. Now I want you to get this whole situation in your mind. These boys are about 16 years old when they leave Jerusalem. At this time, it's possible that they'd barely ever been more than 20 miles outside of their city. They've never lived anywhere but at home. They've never been to town. How many of you that, remember that phrase as a kid? You've been to town as a child. I'm from the South, and in the, in the South, you know, that was a big thing to load up the car and, and go to town, you know. These guys had never been to town like that. Uh, so to speak. And, as, and they were what we call in the South green as a turnip that just fell off the wagon. They didn't know the first thing about the big city. Here they are in this mega city now filled with all types of people. Stuff's happening around the clock. All kinds of activities and businesses like they've never seen before. And evil is all around them. There's prostitutes, con men, pickpockets, businesses that offer everything the flesh can desire. And they're 16 year old boys. And as part of their deprogramming and reprogramming, they are allowed, no, they're encouraged to eat, drink, and be merry. That's what they're encouraged to do. Imagine four 16-year-old boys from the backwoods all of a sudden plopped down in Las Vegas with pockets full of money and told to go for it. These four boys were not only captives taken and put through the deprogramming, you can be sure the others were going for it with gusto. Why do I know that? Because the four names, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are the only ones you hear. The rest of them are going with the flow. They're just going with the flow. To top it all off, these boys' families were far away and had no idea what they were doing because they were denied contact. These boys were told, what happens in Babylon like Las Vegas stays in Babylon. The other boys were surely saying, well, everybody's doing it. You ever heard that before? Well, everybody's doing it. It's where we got where we got as a nation. Uh, once experts began to rise on the scene and convince the people of our country that it's okay to do the things that God said you shouldn't do because I'm an expert and here's why you can do it. It really doesn't matter. God's not really real, you know, uh, so forth and so on. Uh, on and on and on. I mean, the list is long. 
that the experts say we can do whatever we want to do. Especially if God said you shouldn't do it because God's not real. Or God's dead. Or God's too far away. Or God doesn't care about us. When none of those things are true. Amen? So, and probably the other boys did all these things that they were being coaxed to do. It was good. Only the best. It looked good. It smelled good. It tasted good. But to Daniel, to Shadrach, to Meshach, and Abednego, there was only one problem. It was unclean and it wasn't kosher. It was the opposite of what God taught them to do. So what are these wet behind the ears teenagers going to do? So listen to what they did. Maybe one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. See, before this story, and you know what this story is. It's Daniel in the lion's den story. But before the lions showed up in the den, before that battle, before that story happened, before the great deliverance by God was this little verse in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Long before the heat of the battle, Daniel, a servant of God, not was already made up. He would not, you can see, defile himself. Now, Daniel was raised right by his parents, and you can see it here. He respected his elders and those in authority over him, so he politely went to the dietitian and explained his dilemma and proposed a 10-day test. They would eat only veggies and drink water for, and after 10 days, if they did not look and perform as well as the others, there was plenty of time for the dietitian to get them back on the royal diet before they were to face their final exam before Nebuchadnezzar. And when they did, they passed with flying colors. Now let's look at the rest of the story. God blessed Daniel and his friends because of their faithfulness and their obedience. And they rose in the government. Daniel especially rose because God especially blessed him because of his dedication. The king recognized his government or reorganized his government with 120 governors over them. And he placed three presidents, each overseeing 40 governors. Daniel, however, distinguished himself even above the other two presidents. And the king planned to create a new cabinet position which would place Daniel above all the other politicians over the 120 governors and the three presidents. The other two governors were afraid they hated Daniel because he was a foreigner. And they were jealous of how the king respected Daniel. They decided... Something had to be done about Daniel. They began to look for some chink in his armor, some fault, some weakness they could point out and cause Daniel to lose some of his prestige in the eyes of the king. They wanted to have him removed or at least not raised up over them, but they couldn't find any fault in him. God was blessing him. So they decided to entrap Daniel. They would set up a, an operation, some situation where Daniel would be found guilty. But they went past tarnishing his image. Now they wanted to kill him. So they devised a plan to have the king sign a royal decree. Under the law of the Medes and Persians, if the king made a decree, it could not be changed by anyone, not even the king. And it was a capital crime for anyone to pray to any god except Nebuchadnezzar for 30 days. Anyone who did would be thrown in the lion's den. 
They knew that Daniel prayed three times a day in his house with the windows open towards Jerusalem. He didn't hide it. They planned to catch him in the act of praying, and that would be the end of Daniel. Sure enough, right on schedule, Daniel opened the windows and knelt in prayer to God. Sure enough, they burst in. They arrested Daniel and drug him before the king to be sentenced. The king was saddened to see how the others had entrapped him. He wanted to change the law, but the others pointed out that they had him over a barrel. Nebuchadnezzar resented the political trappers, but he was indeed trapped. He sent Daniel to the lion's den and sealed the door. First, though, he spoke with Daniel and expressed his hope that Daniel's God was strong enough to save him. He was and he did. Can you say amen? The lions did not harm him. The king was up all night walking the floor and refusing any comfort. Before it was light, he had waited as long as he could and went to the lion's den and called out to Daniel. It was a desperate call, not a call of faith. To his great delight, Daniel answered, Long live the king. I am alive and well. The king had the door opened and Daniel brought out. Then he embraced him. Now, resentment over being tricked and forced to do this boiled over and he had the plotters and their families cast into the den and they were killed by the lions. So quickly here today, what's the lesson? What am I saying? Why did I title this message purpose? Question, why did Daniel have the courage and the strength to do the right thing when the consequences were so great? Read it again. Why did Daniel have the courage and the strength to do the right thing when the consequences were so great? Not even his three friends who had already shown that they had great faith by facing the fiery furnace or in the lion's den. Uh, did they not pray? Of course, they're people of prayer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into a fiery furnace, and they came out with the only things burnt were the ropes on their hands, and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. The answer to Daniel's situation was in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, where Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself long before he got to the lion's den. In America, the church, the children of God, had forgot about their purpose. And we're in a tough situation today. Amen? The country's kind of been a lion's den. Does that make sense to you? But just because the nation is in the lion's den doesn't mean we cannot take a stand for God. It's never too late. It's only more difficult. It's just more difficult when you wait until the fiery furnace has been stoked. Or you wait until the hungry lions have been loosed in the den. It's just harder. It's not impossible, though. Amen? All right. Let me give you a life principle. You need to write this down or you need to burn it into your mind. You need to ask God to help you with this. Listen to me carefully. Commitments are not made in the heat of battle, but before the battle begins. Your resolve needs to be in place before the battle begins. The decision... Not to defile yourself. Listen to me carefully. I don't like sentences like this. But you know me. I'm the kind of guy. I'm just going to say what I need to say. Right? I don't make no apologies about it. The decision not to defile yourself sexually is not made in the backseat of a car in the heat of passion. They're made before. When you can think clearly. Does that make sense to you? 
You can't wait till the heat of battle to trust that you're going to make the right decision. Make it before you get there. Amen? Make it before you find yourself in those positions and you might not even get in the position where you need to decide anyway. If your heart and your mind is made up before you even get there. This one definitely for me. The decision not to defile yourself with alcohol is not made in the middle of a party when all your friends are drinking and the pressure is on you to drink. They're made before you go to the party or not go to the party. Amen. When you are alone with God and you draw the line there. Lines get drawn with God when you are alone with God. So that when you get in the heat of the battle and you find yourself facing temptation in life, the line's already drawn. Your purpose is already set. Can you say amen? The same thing's true. Name the sin. Gossiping, I don't care what it is. Is any one sin worse than the other? Sin, sin. Amen? The further away from the temptation you are, the easier it is to draw the line. The closer you get to the temptation, the harder it is to avoid stepping over the line. Here's what I believe happened. Believe it or not. Back in Jerusalem, before the fall, before the kidnapping, Daniel's parents helped to instill in him right and wrong, godliness and sin. Mom and dad, we got a job to do. Amen? They helped him to see the heat was coming when it would be hard to draw the line. And in that positively uh, charged environment of godliness, Daniel made a decision, drew the line of what he would and would not do. He would be true to God and his laws. He made that decision while he was in the safety and security of his parents' home. He made that commitment when he was in a place that would lead him to think rightly. He made the decision, drew the line before he faced the situation. Uh, then it would be too late like the other Hebrew boys. That's important. Draw the line when the ground is soft. Think about that. There's some spiritual truth in that. I mean, you know, it's easier to draw a line in soft ground than it is hard ground. Draw the line while the ground is soft. But that's not all we can learn from Daniel. Another reason why he made the right decision, the God-honoring decision is he looked at the situation through the lens of God's word. He knew God's word and he knew what it said about eating those foods and what it said about praying to God. His friends looked through the lens of situational ethics. When in Rome, everything, everyone's doing it. What's wrong with a little compromise? Who's going to know? And that's what's gone wrong in this country. You know, um, I, don't, I don't make myself popular. I, with, with, with my, my points of view are from the Word of God. So in this nation, I'm never going to be popular. Just, it doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've asked God over and over again, how, how do I say these things? How do, I, how do I talk about where the nation is, has gone and where it's at today? And, and I'm not out to hurt anybody. You understand, you understand me? I'm not out to hurt anybody. I'm really not. But I'll just give you a little taste, a little flavor here. Um, years and years ago, I mean, how many of you known just about any time in the history of this nation you could get an abortion if you wanted one? You could find, you could find someone, they, they knew how to give abortions, you know. Um, in the same year that we uh, passed laws that, that uh, and, and, and they talk about it as a woman's right to choose. I don't argue that. I don't argue that. 
that title. I don't argue that. Um, so a woman's right to choose. And the, many women have, have adopted uh, the point of view that this is okay because this child uh, is not a human being yet. You ever heard that? Child's not a human being yet. Um, so I, I began to pray. I began to ask the Lord. I've always known, I've always known that from the time of conception to me and to God, there was a baby. There's a baby. Now listen to me. And, and people sometimes, if I address this subject, they just get angry. You know what? Get angry. Get mad as you want. Get as mad as you want. But I'm going to tell you that that assumption that that is a baby action, brace yourself, is wrong. And I'm going to tell you why. Did not God say, before you were ever in the womb, I knew you. God said, before you were in the womb, I knew you. To God, before you were in the womb, you were a living being. So to me, it doesn't matter what the so-called experts say. I don't care. Now, let me, let me be totally uh, clear with you. I have had the honor and difficult honor and difficult privilege of praying with many people, uh, many women who had abortions in the past only to decide one day when they had a child of their own or something happened and they were hurting down deep inside and they weren't growing as a Christian because they were allowing their past to keep them buried and I was able to take them by the hand and pray with them and ask of his, heal them and, and, and show them his, you know, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, his healing. Amen. What a wonderful and magnificent privilege to watch the Holy Spirit move in the lives of these sweet people. And not just women because the men are just as guilty. Do you hear me? The men are just as guilty. And many of them have needed prayer and, and healing. And I, so I'm not just some mean man going around beating up people who've had abortions or believe in abortions. Have I said anything to you today that made you think I didn't love you or I didn't care for you enough to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? This is a difficult subject because now... In America, you've gone so deep in it, there's no telling how many people have succumbed to the lies the devil have told and have been hurt and have been deceived and have been put through what they've been put through. And preachers in this land are afraid to talk about it because they're afraid someone's going to hate them or they're afraid someone's going to be upset with them. God's going to be upset with me if I don't say anything. You know, there are many opinions out there that American Christians have adopted from the world. And the experts out there convince so many people. And what breaks me down and what hurts me so bad and breaks my heart is all of these experts and all of these people with their opinions, we will all stand before God one day. And how long in that meeting do you think our opinions are going to hold up versus the opinions of God? People in this nation want to remove in God we trust from our money. People in this nation have, have uh, worked and endeavored to remove prayer from the schools and Bibles from the schools. And they've worked and they've endeavored to, 
take in God we trust or our one nation under God from our Pledge of Allegiance. They fight and they fight and they fight. And I'm telling you one day the fight's going to be over. And the fight's going to be taken out of them. Do you think for one minute God is mocked? God is not mocked. Amen? God's not mocked. And as a nation, we need to repent. We need to repent. We need to repent. If we, like Daniel, had made a decision with our lives not to defile ourselves in the first place, you wouldn't even need an abortion as a birth control method. Before the battle began. If we had built our lives on the purpose of the word of God, we wouldn't have even needed it. I still contend today that I don't give a flying flip about Roe versus Wade anymore. I don't. But I do care about revival coming to this nation where we just don't need abortions anymore. We say, well, Brother Dennis, that's awfully big. Oh, you wishing. That's an awfully big wish you got going there. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything impossible for God? Now listen to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make one, uh, one quick attempt at this to convince you of this. One thing, but, but really it doesn't matter because it's about me and you. And it's more important about us and him. Amen. Listen to me. Don't you ever, please, don't you ever let the devil tell you, Pastor Dennis doesn't love us. Pastor Dennis doesn't care for us. Pastor's mean. Pastor's just trying to hurt us. Pastor's just trying to be a, a Dudley do right good guy. No, no. I have to answer to God. He told me, first of all, that I need to love him. First of all, I need to love him. Then I need to love you. I need to love my neighbors. That's all of mankind. Amen. Now, what kind of pastor would I be if I cherry pick the word of God and only tell you what you want to hear? I love you enough to tell you the truth. There's going to come a day in this country, though, if God doesn't turn this thing around, that a sermon like this preached in this country will be the last day a pastor pastors a church. You watch and see. If we, the of God, real, and his opinions matter, what he thinks counts, amen? So, leaving out the door of that last thing I said, I love you. I don't care what the devil tells you. I love you. I love you. And God knew you before you were in the womb. You didn't magically become a human at a certain date after you, you, you were conceived in your mother's womb. God said, I knew you. I knew you before you ever showed up in your mother's womb. So there ain't no expert on earth can change my mind. Amen? There's no expert on earth can change my mind. But listen to this now, too. It, it, that... I can't tell you how many times. I remember in my youth, I get all flared up and emotionally excited and I sounded angry. And I don't, I don't have any intention of sounding angry until one day there was a woman that could hear me and she had her back turned to me. And I could tell that she was crying. I was in my early 20s. I'd never seen anything like that before. I just ranted and raved against abortion. And it didn't dawn on me that I could hurt someone unknowingly or unwillingly. And that was the first woman I ever met. And she did tell me, you sounded like you hated me. But I didn't do or say anything personally to her, but her perception was that I hated her. 
But I didn't hate her. Amen. I loved her. She was the first person that I was ever able to talk to. And God changed my heart about my approach to individuals because they've got to know they're loved. They've got to know they're cared for. Uh, They were deceived. It was a lie. God forgives. The shed blood of Jesus Christ works. Amen. It sets people free. I, I know that woman today, and she has served the Lord for over 40 years. I know her today, and I thank God for that. I thank God for it. So we're clear. You know I love you. You know things have to be said. Sin must be addressed. Amen? It must be addressed. That's right. And, and, and really, in reality, aren't we just getting started, sister? I mean, because how many things in this country have we accepted as a nation that God said, don't do it? You look at the, you, what happened to me in Leviticus a few weeks ago. I got trapped there. I got to looking at it. And I found out that Israel was being given the law because God was going to give them the promised land. He said, and, and listen to me. Paul said in Romans, I wouldn't plan on saying this, but, but this is what God wants me to say. Paul said in Romans, if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. He said, if God did not tell me what wrong was, I wouldn't have known what wrong was. The things that are wrong and the things that are sin in our life that we can do are wrong and sinful because God said they're sin, don't do them. He's the great revealer. He revealed when Cain killed Abel in Genesis. Um, God didn't strike Cain down. Why didn't he strike Cain? God had not said flatly, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit murder. So what did he do? He used Cain's situation when he killed Abel to teach the world that he didn't approve of murder, that murder was a sin. But because he had not yet laid down that law, he even put a mark on Cain so the people would not punish him by taking his life from him. What do you think that mark said? Thou shalt not kill. Are you hearing me? Do you understand that? God laid it out. Then people knew you don't go around murdering people because God disapproves of it. Amen. Are you following with me? So when you get to Leviticus and God's laying down the law uh, because uh, he's taking this land away from these people and he's going to give it to the children of Israel, he has to say what wrong is so they won't do it. And God says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. Because the people in the land that I'm giving you that land, they do this and they have taken it to a fine art. You would think God wouldn't have to say in the Bible, don't have sex with your sister, but it says it in Leviticus. It says, don't have sex with your sister, don't have sex with your mother, don't have sex with your stepmother, don't have sex with your aunt. You would think God wouldn't have to say that. But no one will ever stand before God and say, you didn't say that. Are you hearing me? And he says, why am I telling you these things? Go read Leviticus. He says, why am I telling you these things? Because at the altar of Molech, and he told him, don't sacrifice your children on an altar. Because in the promised land where the bad guys were, the God was about to take their land from them and give it to Israel. The God, Molech, demanded that those people sacrifice their children on an altar and they were doing it. And so God said, if you sacrifice your child on an altar, your life will be taken from you. God made a plan, don't sacrifice your children. Right? And 
he said, and look, I'm just going to say it like it is. I mean, on the altar of Baal, every sex sin you could imagine were carried to an extreme. They built temples to sexuality, uh, altars to Baal, had sex on them. I mean, you just go read, go study it. Go look for yourself. It's, it's there. So what happened was, uh, you know, uh, all, the Amorites, the, the Hittites, all of those guys, they built their nation on the altars of Baal and on the altars of Molech, right? So when your nation starts listening to the experts say, sacrifice your children. Or when the experts of your nation start saying, anything goes sexually speaking. What did America start to do? Started removing the foundation upon which the nation was made the altars of God and replace them with the altars of Baal and the altars of Molech. I'm a mean man, ain't I? I'm just a mean man. What I'm trying to tell you is it's not too late, but this nation needs to turn to God. The nation needs to turn to God. Don't shout me down. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Don't, amen me, brother. I mean, listen to me. The nation needs to turn around or God will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen? Do you know that none of that was in my notes? None of that. God help me. Wow. Wow. God sent Daniel to the lion's den and sealed the door. Did you hear what I just said? God was about to show himself to be God in a wicked nation. You hear me? God was about to take the man in charge of that nation, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was going to show King Nebuchadnezzar who God was. All right? So I said, I said, he sent Daniel to the lion's den and sealed the door. But first, though, Nebuchadnezzar spoke with Daniel and expressed his hope that Daniel's God was strong enough to save him. He was and he did. Amen? The lion didn't harm him. That's fantastic. I had to wrap this up. Earlier, I was talking about temptation. The further away from temptation you are, the easier it is to draw the line. Amen? Now, listen to this. Here's what I believe happened. Uh, I already told you, I believe that Daniel's parents and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's parents instilled the truth in them in a way that they could not be moved. They could not be, they'd be changed. Their mind could not be changed. So, all right. Daniel purposed in his heart. Some versions of the Bible uh, don't say he purposed. He uses the words like determined, decided, made up his mind, or resolved. Those are good words, but... Uh, and they give us the same message, but I prefer he purposed because I think it gives a new understanding which others do not. What does to purpose mean? The dictionary.com says it means that is a noun. Purpose means end, aim, or goal. And I'm asking you today, look at your end, look at your aim, look at your goal. And as a verb, to purpose means to set as an end, an aim, or a goal. Daniel had a purpose, and that purpose was to please God. We've forgotten that in this nation a long time ago. Amen? Uh, with uh, all respect to Nancy Reagan, just saying no is a, ter a, ter a terrible strategy of success. Please let me explain myself. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. 
against drugs, sex, violence, pornography, or anything else. You can't just say no. Eventually, you'll say yes if you're not careful. Why? What we need to learn from Daniel is that you cannot just say no. You must say yes. And what do we have to say yes to? Wow. The devil, he don't like none of this. Let me tell you. Watch this. What we need to learn from Daniel is that you cannot just say no. You've got to say yes. True, you have to say no to sin if we want to please God. But the strategy to just say no is one that's doomed to failure. I'm going to illustrate why. The just say no approach to temptation is like the one-legged approach to a tug of war. How many of you know you can't get any traction? Sure, you can say or resist, but it's a weak fight. What do you need to put up a good fight? You need both legs. Listen to me. In our struggle against temptation, what is the other leg? It's saying yes. Saying yes means having a purpose, a goal, or an aim. Something bigger to which you are committed. Daniel said yes to God long before he was tempted to say no or any other answer later in the heat of the battle. Amen? I can, just, I can try to just say no approach and I may win against small uh, competitions, but if I'm going to win in a big struggle, I need to add the other leg saying yes. Which gives me more strength? Which gives me more strength? Both legs. So what were the points in this message? One, determine in your heart not to defile yourself. Get that going ahead of time. It's too late for a lot to defile God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Number one, determine in your heart not to defile yourself. Decide where to draw the line. Number two, look at the situation through the lens of God's word. Always. Amen. Number three, purpose in your heart. Have a purpose in your heart. Uh, to what will you say yes? We must say yes to God. Amen. Now listen to me. I mentioned some pretty harsh sins today, didn't I? But sin, sin. Amen. And the answer to the sin in our lives of the past is always the same. It's Jesus Christ. The shed blood of Jesus. I, I get hurt in my spirit when God tells me, pray for people because when they hear you say my truth, the devil tries to rush in and bury them in guilt. He tries to bury them in condemnation. God does not come to condemn, amen? God comes to convict. Conviction is very positive. Condemnation is very negative. Condemnation is the devil lying to you and telling you you can never get up and run again. You're spiritually crippled. You can, never, you can never be good. You can never do the things that God wants you to do. You're just dirty. You're trash. And, and look at what you did. Look how terrible it was. Do you know, I have ministered to um, Rayford Prison down in Florida. We ministered to people who were never going to get out of prison in their entire life because of murder and, and different things that they did. And yet, men and women still came to know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, as Lord and Savior of their lives. God can save anybody. Amen? And, you know, I, I've talked to children of God before. All of a sudden, I, I began to talk about what the nation needs to stay away from. And immediately, they look back on their past and they say, I was there. I was there. I did that. Immediately, the devil tries to scream at them. Don't let the devil get away with that garbage. He has no part and lot in what's taking place in your life right now if you're making decisions to follow God. Let me tell you this. You know, I've, I've just stopped watching the news. I've just stopped. I stopped. I stopped. I don't like news anymore. 
this is the only news I trust. This is it. I do not trust the voices uh, that come through the air. I don't, I don't trust them. I trust what God says. I don't really, I reached a point where I didn't care who became president. I cast my care of it over on God, and God's going to be in charge of who got raised up. And no matter who it is, my Bible tells me to pray for them. So guess you what I'm going to do. This country got in the mess it was in because Christians started deciding long, long, well, my guy didn't get voted in, so I'm not going to pray for him. That's sin. That's just nothing. That's disobedience to the Word of God, and we need to stop it. Amen? We just need to stop it. Now, I, I went on that vein to tell you this. There's probably a, a number of you in this room today, if the devil hasn't already tried to come to you and whisper in your ear, you know, you're really messed up. You know, you know what? You know what I tell him? You're absolutely right. I'm all messed up. That's why Jesus died on the cross for me and shed his blood on the cross and covered my life and my sin with his blood and cleansed me, made me fresh, made me new. You do not have to listen to that liar. The next thing he's going to try to tell you is, this country's too far gone. I got my hooks too deep in it. Uh, you'll never, your prayers will never turn it around. That's a lie. That is a lie from the devil. Would the Holy Ghost come to you and tell you such stupidity? The Holy Ghost would never. Yet, yeah, don't you recognize the lie right out of the chute? You can say, I'm not interested. In the name of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus Christ has covered me. My name is in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Whew. And no matter what happens in this world, I'm going to heaven. And if you believe in Jesus and you trust Christ, you're going to heaven too. You got nothing to worry about. You know, women get attacked by the devil and he tells them you did this and, and you're doomed. Man, you did this, you're doomed. You know what? We're all doomed without Jesus. Amen? Quit arguing with him. Just tell him, yeah, but Jesus said, Jesus said, I'm covered with his blood. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. There are those of you in this room that might be thinking, Brother Dennis, the way you talk about Christianity, I'll never be that strong. I'll never be able to live that way. That is a lie. Do you think the Holy Ghost would ever tell you that, that you can't live that way? And listen to me carefully. You've heard too much in this room today to accept that, well, I just want to hang on to my old life a little bit longer. Mm -mm. It's too dangerous. Don't hang on to your old life any longer. Let God set you free. Everybody stand with me. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Uh, just want to take a moment here uh, to ask. I'm not questions. No one's looking around. This is between me, you, and God. And I'm not going to tell anybody, I promise. Listen to me carefully. No one's looking around. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If you're here today, you know, if there's anything I'm known for, which I'm not, I'm not famous. Your pastor's not famous. I'm not some powerful, widely known name uh, in the ministry. Don't, don't really care to be. I want Jesus to be. But I love to pray. I love to pray. So first of all, here's what I want to say to you. Has there been something in your life in the past 
that the devil has loved to come and accuse you again and, uh, and make you miserable, remind you of that thing in the past when you know that you know that you know Jesus Christ died on the cross to cover you for that and to cleanse you from that. And the devil just wants to come against you and wants to remind you of that and bury you in that again. I want to pray for you that God set you free today. No one's looking around. If you want me to include you in that prayer, put your hand up and write back down. I'm not, I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else to say, Pastor, I, yes. I don't ever want to be buried in my past again. Yes, I see that hand. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, I see those hands. Um, look, look, no one's looking around. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If someone's looking around, it ain't none of their business. I'm just saying, yes, I see that hand. Um, here's what God wants to do. God wants to set you free. God wants to touch you today and let you know how much loved you are and how much cared for you are and how big a liar the devil is, and how big a deceiver he is. And also, I'm going to ask God to touch you and let you know that there's a pastor in this world, and there's brothers and sisters in Christ that love you and adore you, and we're praying for each other. That's part of what being discipled is all about. Well, let's take this to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name. Father, I want to thank you for leading us the way you've led us in the service today. Thank you, Father, that in the kingdom, amongst your children, there are people, um, I'm humbled, Father, by being one of those voices in the wilderness that are crying out today. John the Baptist was all alone in the New Testament. He was a voice crying in the wilderness today. But today, there are many voices crying in the wilderness, and mine's just one of them. Father, I want to thank you for everybody in this room. I'm going to thank you for leading us and guiding us the way you've led us and the way you've guided us today, and you've brought us to this point. Many hands went up and back down. Father, it's easy for us to figure that that lying devil, the deceiver, tries to come against your children and bury them in doubt, fear, and unbelief and guilt, but we're not guilty anymore in the name of Jesus once the shed blood of your Son has been applied to our lives. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit coming into us today and filling us afresh and anew to overflowing and bring your gifts because they'll open our eyes. They'll touch our understanding. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. Teach us today, Father, in the name of Jesus, how we can come against the lies of the devil and do great damage to the powers of darkness through our prayer lives when we're not shackled, when no area of our life is shackled. Father, I pray that not only are people hearing the sound of my voice right now, but literally they feel it. They sense it in their being that you're hearing this prayer. Devil, that you're touching them, Father, and you're setting them free in the mighty name of Jesus. And devil, you have no part nor lot in what is taking place in this room today. I thank you, Father, for the great awakening that's coming to this nation. Thank you for setting this nation back up on its feet, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, Life Spring Bible Church, we desire, Father, to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus above all names in this, in this earth and in this realm. We come against the altars of Molech and Balaam and Baal in Jesus' name. And we speak, Father, the Spirit in the name of Jesus over this nation. We thank you for the great revival that we're pursuing that you're birthing 
in the lives of your people. Father, you are a great God, a loving God. Thank you for, for providing all that you have provided for us, eternal life. And especially in these uncertain times, they don't matter. As long as we're at your feet, at your throne, Father. Touching the throne of God. What a powerful, powerful thing to do. Father, forgive us, Lord, for times that we've doubted you. Forgive us for the times that we, we didn't take a stand with purpose. With something even as simple as trusting you. Thank you for a breakthrough in the lives of your people in this room today. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for helping us to walk in faith for your glory. Father, you've been so gracious to us today. I know in my heart there's a great release in my heart because we have obeyed you. Obedience is better than sacrifice. We have obeyed you, Father. I thank you, Lord, for touching lives in this room and changing people. Father, I pray that you would help this church and every church in this country that lifts up the name of Jesus to be a beacon of light to a lost and dying world. Help us to get the truth out there. We don't hate anybody, Lord. We're not, we're not mad at anybody. We're not, we just want people. If anything, we're mad at the devil. And we're not mad enough at him to go after him like we should in the name of Jesus Christ and beat the, the waves of the devil back in the name of Jesus. In many ways, but it, your word teaches us this world is just going to get worse and worse before Jesus comes back for us. But it doesn't mean that we won't have times of renewal, times of revival. And who knows, Father, that this may be one of those days, one of those hours, when because your children are turning to you and rejecting sin in their lives and rejecting the lives of the so-called experts, Father. We're trusting you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name for cleansing us afresh and anew. In Christ's name we pray. Father, mm, thank you for the revival. Thank you for helping us to take it home with us. Thank you for helping us, Father, to live it day in and day out. Not just Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And on that 366th day of leap year, Father, in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. It was a quiet amen, but it was a good amen. Fellowship together before you leave here today.